Well, there is a dark side to Christmas. And I'm not talking about the caloric damage of too much eggnog and too many cookies. I'm not talking about the financial damage of exorbitant spending. Some of us will probably be singing, I heard the bills on Christmas Day. I'm not talking about the emotional letdown after weeks of planning and preparation and baking and shopping and decorating. It's just January. Somebody has said nothing is as over as Christmas when it's over. I'm talking about the dark side of Christmas that we read about in Matthew chapter 2. Would you take a copy of God's Word, turn or scroll to the second chapter of the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, and the reading begins at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. We won't take time today to talk about the legends or scholarly debates about the Magi. Just note that they were astronomers or astrologers. Back then it was the same thing. From Persia. The idea that there were three of them comes from the three named gifts. We don't actually know how many came, and we don't know, despite legend, their names. Verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ child was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. The historian Josephus says that Herod the Great was capable, crafty, and cruel. A non-Jew imposed on Judea by Rome, Herod was an energetic builder and administrator who was also ruthless in maintaining power. Not long before this story, Herod murdered two of his own sons, who he saw as a potential threat to his throne. Caesar Augustus joked that it would be safer to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. The Magi would not have known this reputation, and so they probably would have assumed that Herod was sincere about wanting to honor the new king. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And that's where we often stop our reading of the Christmas story, especially if it's the same day we have a children's program 
we really don't want to hear what happens next in verse 13 and following. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Egypt would have seemed a natural refuge for the Holy Family. Every Egyptian city had a sizable Jewish community. And then this Old Testament quotation would have said to Matthew's readers, you see, the experience of the Savior was foreshadowed. Like our ancestors, he spent some time in exile and had to be called by God out of Egypt. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Rachel, mother of Israel, weeping inconsolably for her innocent dead. This is the dark side of Christmas. Right from the beginning and still today, hostility toward King Jesus. So why does Matthew include this story in his gospel? Why does he paint this picture of the dark side of Christmas? Well, he doesn't say so explicitly, but I believe that Matthew wanted to alert his readers to a sobering truth about Messiah's mission to this broken planet right from the start, right from the infancy narrative, there's a foreshadowing of things to come. Hostility to the king is to be expected. What Jesus experienced in his tumultuous ministry and in his crucifixion and what his followers have experienced down through the centuries started before he was weaned. Hostility to the king is to be expected. Unless we sentimentalize Christmas, Matthew sets the story in a world where tyrants rule, where innocents die, where little people flee oppression. Unless we think of Christmas story as, well, a kind of a nice fairy tale, Matthew sets it smack up against a, an account of grisly infanticide. And before we've read 10 minutes into the New Testament, we're put on notice Hostility to the king is to be expected. And how could it be otherwise, really? Jesus is a threat to the established powers. When Herod heard about this new king's birth, he and official Jerusalem were troubled. 
probably would not have been troubled if the Magi had come and said, a new teacher has been born and we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. It was that word, king, that was disturbing. And when 30-some years later, Jesus was crucified, it wasn't because he was a, a creative teacher. The title, the charge against him, which Pilate could ultimately not ignore, was that he claimed to be king. And in our own time, the powers that be, governments, are likely to leave Christ followers alone, pretty much, as long as they keep their allegiance private, as long as they tell one another what the teacher says within the confines of their church buildings or homes, but let people try to follow the king in the public square, and Herod gets nervous. Let Christians in totalitarian regimes protest injustice. Let pastors in Canada say what the Bible says about homosexuality. Let Christian counselors in some states, including Illinois, try to help people with unwanted same-sex attraction. Let a Christian baker or florist attempt to actually practice their art. And Herod says, King? I'm king! So Matthew's account of the dark side of Christmas reminds us that Jesus is a threat to the established powers. And secondly, this story reminds us that those you might expect would receive Jesus don't. And those, conversely, who you might not expect to receive him do. Look again at verses 4 through 6 of Matthew chapter 2, where Herod asks, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? And the scholars of Israel say, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. And they quote the prophecy that Messiah would be born in, in Bethlehem. So what do these Jewish religion scholars do? Do they hurry off to Bethlehem to honor the Messiah? They do not. <laughs> they leave that to these Persian stargazers. And so again, what Jesus experienced later in his ministry was anticipated here in his infancy. The religious establishment spurned and persecuted him. His hometown wrote him off. His own family thought that he was cracked. And it was the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the down-and-outers, the riffraff who welcomed him. And 20-some years after Jesus' death, the Apostle Paul could write to a Christian congregation, look around and you won't see many of the wise, the noble, the influential, the up-and-outers, the upper crust in your congregation. It's mostly nobodies. And largely, Gentile. <laughs> that was a surprising development 
by the time Matthew's gospel as well as Paul's epistles were circulating, there were as many Gentile followers of Jesus as there were Jewish followers of Jesus or more. But those who you would expect would receive the king don't. I think of Carl, uh, a businessman active in charitable community organizations, lives a decent life, a family man. You might think he's got one foot in the kingdom already. Just put his name on the church roll for crying out loud. <laughs> but uh, Carl has no use for the gospel. He thinks of himself as a good man who does not need a savior. And if there's a God and if there's a heaven which he's inclined to believe, he's pretty sure he'll be there because he deserves to be there. Pat, a lady you work with, should be a Christian, you figure. She's a decent, moral person. Seems almost halfway there, but, but she balks at the exclusivism of Christianity, the claim of Jesus to be the way and the only way to the Father. How, how narrow she feels. So people that you like, people you respect, people you hope, even expect would follow Jesus. Don't. Don't be surprised, Matthew says. It's been like that from day one. Hostility to the king is to be expected. That means Jesus is a threat to the established powers. It means that those who you would expect would receive him don't, and it, it means that innocent people suffer because of hatred for Christ. Verse 16, when Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. This does not necessarily mean that this incident took place two years after Jesus was born. I think Herod is just not taking any chances with the Magi's timetable. And given the size of Bethlehem at the time, probably 10 to 20 boys were murdered that day, not the thousands of later legends. Um, some churches mark this incident, this coming Tuesday, the 28th, the Feast of Holy Innocence, in honor of these babies considered the first Christian martyrs, which is not quite accurate since they knew nothing about Jesus, much less exercised faith in him, but certainly they were the first in a long line of innocent people who have suffered because of hatred for Christ. Matthew's gospel circulated to a generation of Christ followers who knew something about persecution. This story said to them, don't be surprised. Hostility toward the king and therefore toward his mission and his people 
is to be expected. And if, as I have been saying from this pulpit for a few years, we Christ followers in North America come to experience persecution, don't be surprised. <laughs> you might appreciate this advice from a retiring pastor who spoke to other church leaders. He said, don't take it personally. We're in a war. When a soldier gets shot at, he doesn't get his feelings hurt. He isn't plagued by self-doubt. He doesn't wonder if this is the kind of work he's cut out for. He doesn't peer over the edge of the foxhole and shout back, was it something I said? <laughs> Getting shot at just goes with the territory. Don't take it personally. Hostility to the king, and therefore his people and his mission, is to be expected. That's how it's been from day one. Harold was riding on a train years ago, reading a book of Greek mythology, and he read a story about a Greek god who fell in love with a human maiden and came down to visit her, but found that she had been in an accident and was lying alongside the road in a pool of her own blood. And repulsed by the sight of human blood, the god winged his way back to Mount Olympus where he could meditate on the human condition. Harold looked up from his reading and noticed the telephone poles going by in the shape of crosses. And he couldn't help but compare these two worldviews, the Greek and the Christian. The Greek the pagan, repulsed by blood. The Christian, story of a God who was willing to shed some of his own. Knowing the hostility, knowing the rejection, the suffering that he would experience, the king still came. And that's the bright side of the dark side of Christmas. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Sing it defiantly. Sing it against the Herods of the world. Sing it for the innocent sufferers in the persecuted church. Sing it in triumphant hope. Let earth receive her king. Hymn 270, and we'll stand as we sing. 270.